Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of song and music and to be able to be reminded of your greatness and where our focus ought to be uh, through those songs. We pray, Father, now that as we open your word together, that we would be reminded and encouraged once again to have our focus on you, for you to be our vision. We thank you for the scripture that you have given. We pray that you would teach us as we study it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the book of Haggai again once once again this morning. And if you haven't found it, you go to Matthew, turn back to the left, you find Malachi, Zechariah, and Haggai, the third book from the end of the Old Testament. Have you ever started on something new with a lot of eagerness and anticipation, but then you've found that your enthusiasm just kind of wears out? We are about five and a half months into the year. You remember those New Year's resolutions you made five and a half months ago? How are those going today? I think that's one area that we normally think of, of something that we're just raring to go. We think of this new thing we're going to do so often. It's we're going to get in shape. We're going to lose some weight. This is going to be the year. How long does that enthusiasm last? Maybe until the next morning. (laughs) You have to get up early to do that exercise you're planning on. Well, maybe it's the start of a new school year. Here we are at the end of the school year, all of you teachers and students all excited to be done, but you know, next August, maybe some are excited to start something new, but then a couple of weeks in, you're ready to be done again. Maybe you're starting a new job. Maybe you're starting a new Bible study. You come across something that, you know, this, this book, this is what I need. This is what's really going to help me. And then, again, that enthusiasm over time wears off. Or maybe it's a new ministry that you have the opportunity to be a part of. This is what the world needs. This is what this community needs. This is going to change everything. And you get into it with a lot of enthusiasm, and then it dies down. Well, that new smell, that new car, whatever it is, eventually it wears off. Sometimes we get a little discouraged as time goes on. Sometimes when our expectations aren't met, we get depressed. We start to question what went wrong. Well, that's the kind of situation we find the Israelites in moving into chapter 2 of the book of Haggai. Last week we saw that the uh, Persian king, Cyrus, He was moved by God to let the captive Israelites return to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple. This temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. There were 50,000, give or take, Jews that went back to Jerusalem. And they went back eager to build that temple. And they started off strong. They got the foundation all laid out. Then they had some opposition from the Samaritans, and they just gave up. 
And they turned their attention to building their house. And that went on for 15, 16 years. I think last week I said 15. Everything I was reading this past week said 16. So I apologize if I misled you. 16 years. That foundation just laid there. Pile of rocks. Growing up weeds. While they finished their houses. And they got their houses all decked out. They got them as comfortable as they could make them with what they had. And God's house just sat there. Well, God was disciplining them for that. They were having a really rough time. This drought year after year. They lacked food. They lacked clothes. They lacked money. So God sent Haggai to tell them that they've got to get their priorities right. That was the problem. That was why they were suffering so much. Their priorities were wrong. God has to come first. We looked at that verse just a little in Matthew. And Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's the answer. That's where our priorities need to be. Seek first His kingdom. When we get busy in life, there's always more and more and more things being added. We get to the point where something's got to give. What is it that gets pushed out? Well, sometimes... We try to make up time by backing off on God. You know, we, we serve less. We pray less. I've got a really busy day. I've got to get going on all these projects. I don't have time to pray today. We read Scripture less. We worship less. We're too busy. It's God that gets pushed aside. And sometimes we think that we've got to get everything else taken care of first. We've got to work harder, put in more hours to get ahead. And then, once everything slows down, then we can spend some time worshiping God and serving the Lord. God says that's backwards. It's actually the other way that it should be. God will provide what you need. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You know, we are supposed to work. Paul says to the Thessalonians, someone doesn't work, they don't eat. We've got to do our work. It's a matter of priorities. What comes first? God says He has to come first. Worshiping Him. Serving Him. That comes first. And anything else is idolatry. You are to have no other gods before me. God's first. These Jews, they got the message. That was the message from Haggai. They got busy. Enthusiastically working on the temple. For about a month. And that's where we are 
Now beginning chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? Going back to verse 1 for just a little bit. Have you noticed from chapter 1 and now into verse 1 of chapter 2 how specific Haggai is in the time stamp he puts on these messages he got from God? Very specific. That's actually really helpful here, at least, to tell us some of the details about what's going on. This tells us that they built on that temple for starting out about two weeks. And then came the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the day when the high priest was to go through all of this elaborate ritual, all these ceremonies, and he would enter the Holy of Holies with the blood of a sacrifice, and he would make atonement for the sins of the people. Okay, now we know who the high priest was, Joshua. What did he do that day, the Day of Atonement? Well, we don't know exactly all that he did, but one thing we do know, they didn't have a temple for him to do it in. The Day of Atonement that year was another reminder of their failures and all the things they didn't have. They got back to work another five days. Five days after the Day of Atonement, work on the temple stopped again because it was time for the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles lasted a whole week. This message from God in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, came on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles came right at the end of fall harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles was to be, here's a definition of, of what this feast was, a time of joyous celebration as the Israelites celebrated God's continued provision for them in the current harvest and remembered his provision and protection during the 40 years in the wilderness. What had their harvest been like this year? We saw back in chapter 1, verse 6, you have sown much, but harvest little. And this had been the case for many years. Drought, famine. Chapter 1, verse 9, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. They had been under God's discipline for their misplaced priorities. There had been another drought, another year that they had to look ahead to a shortage of food, a shortage of drink, a shortage of clothes, shortage of money. They had, they had worked hard that year. They had done everything they knew to do to get a good crop. But it, they had just had another pitiful harvest. 
So what do you suppose that Feast of Tabernacles week was like for those Jews? It was probably another reminder all week long of all of their failures and all of the things that they didn't have. Now, the last day of that feast, they're looking ahead on tomorrow. We're going to get back to work on that temple. And that was another reminder of their failures and all the things they didn't have. Look again at verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? Have you ever known of a place... You, you knew this place when you were a kid. Then you went back to it several years later. And you can't figure out how it shrunk. Has that ever happened to you? I remember the, the church that my family first went to when we started going to church. I was about six years old. That church was huge. had long hallways that just went on forever. This, a set of stairs that me and some other kids would run, and we'd jump down those stairs, and we were so brave. So I was so far down those stairs. We'd just fly. We went to that church for about five years and went to a different church. Went back to that first one several years later for a wedding, and I couldn't figure out, did they leave the furnace on too hot? <laughs> did the place shrink? What happened? It's always aren't that long. They must, must have taken several steps off of that staircase. It's not that far down. <laughs> That's the way our memories work, right? Our memories have a way of making things grow. Uh, if there's something you have fond memories of, you remember all the good things about it, forget all the bad, and so the good gets even better. In Grandma's house when you were a kid. You have fond memories of that. From your, from your memories, your times at your grandparents' house, probably all that ever happened was your grandma fed you cookies and they gave you presents. But we choose to forget about all the times she chased you around with a wooden spoon. <laughs> if you have a, a bad memory of something, you remember all of the bad and forget about the good, and so the bad gets even worse. Does anybody have a, a mean teacher you remember from years ago? Maybe one time they did something that was kind of mean, and now that's all you remember about that teacher. Memories have, have a way of doing that, making things grow. Well, there were some people there in Jerusalem. On that last day of the feast, they were now in their 70s or 80s. And they were kids when they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And they remember that first temple. And that first temple was gigantic. And it was so beautiful. Our scripture reading from Ezra chapter 3. That was 16 years earlier. Now here, the older generation was still longing for the good old days. Now in reality, the first temple was a lot bigger than the one that they were able to build now. 
And it was a lot more ornate than what they were going to be able to make this second one. As someone figured out, and this was several years ago, they said that all of the gold that it would have taken to uh, make that inside of the Holy of Holies is all paneled in cedar and then everything was overlaid with gold. They said that it would have taken $20 million worth of gold. And that was several years ago. So with inflation, it's a lot more than that now. It was fancy. It was big. They didn't have the resources to duplicate that now. Their memories from when they were kids of the size and how spectacular that temple was, was probably even bigger. They couldn't do that again. Now, can you imagine how encouraging that must have been for the younger people to be reminded over and over year after year of how much better everything used to be? And by encouraging, I mean not encouraging at all. Right? Wouldn't that have been discouraging to them? We read there in Ezra, they laid the foundation. All the young people, they were cheering. They were joyful. The older people were crying. Now, 16 years later, everybody's crying. Everybody's discouraged. Their circumstances weren't what they thought they should be. They're discouraged. God had the answer for their discouragement. Verse 4. But now, take courage. Be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. They're given a command. Command goes to everybody. The governor, the high priest, everybody there. Be strong. Be courageous. Take courage. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Press on. Keep working. Keep moving forward. Now this coming right after verse 3, I believe a part of what he's saying is that dwelling on old circumstances isn't how we're going to move forward. We have to deal with the circumstances we've got. Work from where you are, not from where you wish you were. Work from where you are and with what you have, not from where you wish you were and what you wish you had. That old temple is gone. And it's not going to come back. That was the right temple for that time. That time is gone. Circumstances have changed. This is where you are now. So move forward. Be strong. Be courageous. And work. Now the circumstances have changed. But there's something that hasn't changed. And that's what they need to focus on. And what has changed? Well, they didn't have nearly the resources that David and Solomon had all those years ago. 
They were poor now. Those circumstances have changed. But what hasn't changed? God hasn't. Notice who it is that gave this command into verse 4. The Lord of hosts. And we talked about that last week. You remember what that means? The Lord of hosts. It could also say the Lord of armies. Or the one who is in charge. The one who is all powerful. The one who gives the orders. The one who no power on heaven, in heaven or on earth could ever challenge. He says, be strong and work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. That God, he says, I'm with you. That's why you can take courage and work. That's some pretty good encouragement, isn't it? If you stop and think about the Lord of hosts, sovereign over everything, no one anywhere can ever challenge him. And he has promised he is with you. That's encouraging, isn't it? Who cares about less than ideal circumstances? If this is who my God is and he's with me. Take that to heart. Dwelling on old circumstances won't help us move forward. But remembering who God is will. Because God doesn't change. That's what he reminds them of in verse 5. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about those Israelites after they made the exodus out of Egypt. He says you. He means you Israelites. My spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. That was a promise he had made to them. Now, do you remember what day this was? Back to verse 1. This was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. What was the Feast of Tabernacles? A big part of it was to remember God's provision and his protection for the Israelites in the wilderness. That's why God reminded them of of this right now. It's very pertinent. This is what was on their minds. This is the same God today. When you think about the Israelites in the wilderness... They had it rough. They didn't have anything. They didn't have any means of growing things because they kept moving. They didn't have anything. It's wandering around out there in the wilderness. But God was with them. And God provided them with everything they needed. Water out of a rock. Manna came down out of heaven. He provided for them, provided for them everything. Now, that same God was still there. That was a present reason for them to be encouraged. That God from the past is still the God today. The God who is there for them is still there for you today. Be encouraged by that. 
There's also a future promise that is given as a reason to not be stuck in discouragement about the past. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and also the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all the nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. That first temple, it was pretty neat. It was big. It was filled with a lot of gold and fancy things, but it was nothing compared to what God had planned for the future. He said in a little while, heaven and earth were going to be shaken. Turned inside out. When God the Son would enter into His creation, He set aside all the glories of heaven. He humbled Himself by becoming a man who was born of a virgin. Heaven and earth were shaken. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple, the temple which was the refurbished version of the temple these people in Haggai were currently working on, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into that temple. In Luke chapter 2, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and he prophesied, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The glory that the Israelites were expecting, there it was in Simeon's arms. The Messiah had come. Now that first temple that the older generations could remember, it was pretty impressive. But the Messiah never walked through its doors. They shouldn't be discouraged by what they've lost from the past because the best is yet to come. Be encouraged by that because it's still true today. The book of Hebrews goes into a lot of detail about how Jesus is far superior to anything that was done by the priests in the temple. Now this, when Haggai gave this uh, prophecy, it was a mystery to them. But they could trust God's promise. What you remember from that old temple, that was nothing compared to what I have in store in the future. This prophecy about the shaking of the nations is actually going to happen again. There are prophecies in the Old Testament that uh, sometimes have a near and far fulfillment. And as the prophets looked ahead into the future, I've heard it described as that they could see the mountaintops, but they couldn't see a lot of things that happened in between. This is going to happen again. And finally, when Jesus returns in judgment against the nations, the nations are going to be shaken. The Lord of hosts is coming. In verse 7, when it talks about the wealth of all the nations or 
what the nations desire. Uh, it's kind of hard to know exactly what that's talking about. Uh, there are parts of this prophecy that are pretty confusing. But what we do know for sure, the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy is Jesus Christ. What all the nations actually desire, whether they realize it or not, is a Messiah. They try to fill that with all kinds of other things. But what everyone really needs more than anything else is Jesus Christ. He fulfills this prophecy. So what he is telling them is that his plan is moving forward. So that's what we've got to do. Move forward. They were looking back. They were discouraged about things not being what they used to be. God's plan has not been undone. God's plan is still moving forward. So he's telling them, you move forward too. Look at verse 8. He says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Do you think God was concerned that they didn't have enough gold and silver to make this temple all shiny like the last one was? Was that a concern to God? No. It was all his anyway. All of it, everywhere. Didn't matter where it was, it was his. Now this rock that we think is one of the most precious things there is, gold, people kill to get more gold, God paves the streets with it. It's nothing to him. He owns it all. The size of the temple, the materials it was made out of, that wasn't a concern to God. What was the temple really about? What was its purpose? And we talked about that last week too. It was about their relationship with God. That's what it was really about. It was the center of their worship of God. It was to be a house of prayer. They could go there and be taught by the priests. Sacrifices were made there to cover their sins so they could have a relationship with God. All of that could be true with this temple too. It really wasn't about the building. God was to be the object of their worship, not the building. God is the point, not the building. Again, in verse 9, he encourages them. Don't be stuck in the past. Don't feel bad about the temple that's not there anymore. Because he has some big things planned for the future. Verse 9 says, The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, from our perspective today, looking back, how did God do that? Well, Jesus, the real temple. Remember when Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will rise it up, raise it up again. He was talking about his body. The real center of worship. The one who any earthly temple was just a very minor illustration of. He would come and bring peace. A peace that couldn't be found in that first temple. 
peace that wouldn't be found in that second temple if it was just the building. Peace with God through his sacrificial death on a cross and resurrection from the dead. Again, the book of Hebrews tells us that that sacrifice does things for us that no animal sacrifice could ever do. He is where the real peace is found when you put your trust in him alone. The best is yet to come. That's what he told them from their perspective. Same is true for us today. The best is yet to come. We have this same encouragement from our perspective to press on. Our means of being encouraged to to work, to move forward, is not dwelling on how things aren't what they used to be. It's not found in longing for the good old days. Our encouragement for today comes from knowing that our God is the same Lord of hosts that he has always been. He doesn't change. He is in charge. He is all-powerful. He is the one who gives the orders. There is no power in heaven or on earth that can challenge him. He is our God today. He is with us. And we know how it all ends. God told us. Guaranteed by Jesus' resurrection from the dead. God wins. We know the end of the story. God wins. Evil loses. God's plan will be accomplished. No matter what our circumstances may look like today, God's plan is moving forward. No matter how hard things may look today, God's plan has not been undone. God's moving forward. And so must we. And there are all kinds of promises we can look to in the Bible to encourage us about the certainty of the future for, the, for those who are in Christ and to know for sure that the best is yet to come. We'll close with just one of those. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Do not let your heart be troubled. Stop letting your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's encouraging. Think about that. No matter how our circumstances may appear today, God's plan is moving forward. If you are in Christ, it's a good plan for you. It's for your best. Trust Him. Take courage. Move forward with God. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. And no matter what our circumstances look like today, we can know that if we are in Christ, the best is yet to come. 
No matter how things may have looked in the past, if we look back with, with longing and wish that things could be like they were, we pray that you would help us to realize that your plan is moving forward. And the best is yet to come. We pray that that would be our focus. We would be reminded that you are a God who is constant. The same today as you were yesterday and will be tomorrow. You're a God who can be depended on and trusted. We pray that you would help us to take courage, to be strong, and move forward with the work that you've given to us. We thank you for the encouragement that you give us in your word. We pray that you would keep these things in our minds as we leave from here today. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.